So tonight, talking about mudita. I'm trying to learn to say this properly. My husband's studying Pali. <laughs> Maybe you will benefit. <laughs> mudita is appreciative or sympathetic joy, where we find that joy, delight, happiness in someone else's joy. It's, you know, the third of the Brahma Viharas. It's actually, I think, what I commonly experience when I listen in interviews, that there's often just a delight in, uh, that happens in me from hearing of what happens in you. I'd like to, before I go into Mudita, just share a teaching from my Tibetan teacher, Minjur Rinpoche, one of my Tibetan teachers. And it, it's again from his new book, The Joy of Living. And I'm not trying to sell the book. I'm just, <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom in it. So this is from him. At its heart, Buddhism is very practical. It's about doing things that foster serenity, happiness, and confidence, and avoiding things that provoke anxiety, hopelessness, and fear. The essence of Buddhist practice is not so much an effort at changing your thoughts or your behavior so that you become a better person, but in realizing that no matter what you might think about the circumstances that define your life, you're already good, whole, and complete. It's about recognizing the inherent potential of your mind. In other words, Buddhism is not so much concerned with getting well as with recognizing that you are right here, right now, as whole, as good, as essentially well as you could ever hope to be. The next line in the, in the book is, you don't believe that, do you? <laughs> and we don't. That's why we practice. But it's not about changing the furniture. No, it's really about discovering what's already here. And there's just, you know, the Buddhist teachings is rich with angles to come at this from because we get caught in so many different ways. And, you know, just to me, the Brahma Viharas are a rich way of practice that really helps us around relationship where we often, you know, hit the rub, where we don't feel whole, we don't feel good, we have habits that are painful. And so they help point us back to the truth of interconnectedness. They help us learn to just change the channel. And Mudita is a, has been a great example of this for me because, you know, Mudita is about, you know, delighting in another person's good fortune. But often when someone is experiencing good fortune, what happens? The mind contracts. There's jealousy. There's envy. You know, we want what they've got. You know, it's, and it's really hard to wish well. And yet, in my mind, I've just seen, okay, so this negative mind state comes up, and it's, you know, kind of gnarly, but then there's this person that's happy. If I shift the focus from this envy, this jealousy, to their happiness, and, you know, 
just stop self-referencing in that moment, the joyous mind too. You know, it's so, it's just such a simple little shift. And, you know, at first I didn't believe it. You know, it was sort of like, oh yeah, right. (laughs) But I just played with it in life and I couldn't believe it. You know, it's like that other is just a habit. So what? Big deal. It's conditioned. You know, turn the channel. If you can be happy in this moment, why not? You know, what makes the, what makes the torment of the mind so much holier? (laughs) so just some of you have joined us recently a very quick review we began with metta loving kindness uh, where we're just touching into how we all have this shared desire to be happy and finding that benevolence of heart that can be inclusive, friendly. You know, where we can, on one level, just treat beings with respect because they are, because they are just like us, even though they may do actions we don't like, that they may do foolish things, but essentially there's an inherent goodness. And, you know, we just learn to have this benevolence of heart, inclusivity. And then last week I spoke about compassion. And this is where we're touching into the fact that as well as a desire to be happy, all beings experience suffering. That things don't, aren't always so pretty, aren't always so easy. That there can be an immense amount of pain in one's life. From having a body, having a mind, there is a lot of difficult terrain that we can go through. And so, you know, it's where we let our hearts touch that pain and connect with other beings through the knowing of that pain and allowing that to be balanced by wisdom, by knowing that there is no one who is suffering. My own definition of compassion is tears of understanding. What happens when we connect with pain and there's true understanding? There's the sadness, the tenderness of heart that's there, but there's the wisdom that upholds it. And so tonight, mudita, where we find the place of connection through delighting, appreciating the joy of another. Mudita is a delight in the mind that kindles interest, care, attentiveness, and is a lightness of heart. The Tibetans, in their teaching, and, and pointing to this quality of, of a, a boundless joy, an appreciative joy, um, they talk about a camel. And apparently the mother camel is 
a very affectionate mother, said to be the most affectionate of all mothers. And so if a camel loses her calf, her sorrow is said to be very intense. And it's said that if she finds her calf again, her joy has no bounds, no boundaries. It's boundless. And this is appreciative joy, joy with no boundaries, boundless. The root meaning of mudita is, excuse me, to be pleased or to have a sense of gladness. The root meaning of mudu is tender heart. A description I love of mudita is where it's likened to the smile that we often see on Buddha statues. And and the Buddha being someone who saw into the depths of suffering and still had this lightness of heart, this joy of heart. It's a very helpful quality. It helps the mind to be buoyant so that when compassion is met, there's not this breaking of the heart. This is still something in progress, so I was hesitating whether to say it or not. But it's something I've been looking at in my own mind. And uh, so we won't say it as a definitive statement, but it's just something that's been of interest to me. Because, you know, at times when the suffering feels so strong and that sense that one could be broken by it, but I've remembered all of the beings that I know whom are somewhat realized, I have no idea how realized, but how they also have this joyous quality. And what I'm finding is that when compassion is touched into and it's held with wisdom, when there really is the seeing things as they are, but the touching into the depths of the suffering, there is also this lightness because there is no one who is suffering. Wisdom informs, infuses, and, you know, just takes what could have been something that is so oppressive, gives it that lightness. But it's really helpful in our lives, in practice, because of this capacity to gladden, to lighten. Because in moments where wisdom isn't there, and we are getting identified, are getting entrenched in something, to know how to gladden the mind can be really helpful. This is a teaching from Nyanaponika Terra. Uh, German monk whom uh, there's a book called The Vision of Dhamma and in it there is a chapter on the four sublime states and these are the Brahma Viharas and he just speaks so exquisitely about all of them if you haven't read this book at some point in your life it might be 
helpful. So he says about mudita. Noble and sublime joy is a help helper on the path to the extinction of suffering. Not one who is depressed by grief, but one possessed of joy finds that serene calmness leading to a contemplative state of mind. And only a mind serene and collected is able to gain liberating insight. When there is a gladdening of the mind, it becomes more serene more stable, and more collected. And this is when liberating insight can arise. Mudita is said to be the hardest of all of the Brahma-viharas. And it's also said to be the most neglected. And one time I was uh, doing some research on Mudita and was on this website that had links for all of the different Brahma-viharas. But when it came to Mudita, it was just the word with no link. <laughs> and I think that's changing. I think that it's getting more airtime. In the world today, I know certainly around IMS it gets good airtime, and is a kind of a practice that I have found um, staff here is just wonderful with staff and teachers. Um, there was a wonderful, you know, just a small experience, but just to, in the scene of the power of how this works, that we were sitting down at a table one day and had tempeh for lunch. And it wasn't a table full of tempeh lovers. There was eight people at the table. Seven people had expressed their disappointment that tempeh was being served. And then one person says, oh, but I love tempeh. And then we all, we all broke out in cheers. <laughs> and, you know, it's that moment of we saw an opportunity to be happy for somebody else. <laughs> and it took us out of our grumpiness of not having what we wanted, but somebody else got what they wanted. But, you know, it's not always that easy because of our tendency towards jealousy, tendency towards envy. And it can also be because of misconceptions around joy and happiness, ideas that we have. So I'd like to speak a little bit about happiness and joy. Um, I probably said a little bit of this when I spoke about metta or loving kindness because that also is a place where we get confronted with ideas about joy and happiness. And yet, you know, we tend to look for happiness over and over in our lives. It's something we all seek. We all have this urge to be happy to be joyful. And we often look in misguided ways, in ways that are not so skillful or not going to bring us true happiness. And so as a result, what can happen is that we stop opening to joy. We you know, have been disappointed so many times before that when there's a moment of joy, we don't go there. 
we don't let our hearts be touched. We sometimes think that joy is frivolous. You know, especially <laughs> Buddhists. We, you know, we hear so much about suffering. And I talk so much about suffering. But it's only to know the end of suffering. And there is great joy. And it's really important that we see moments of joy. No, recognizing them when they're there when there's a lightness of heart, a moment of delight. And they come for, you know, so many different reasons. And yeah, it may not be the sublime joy, the joy of the mind-heart released, but there is a moment when the mind is gladdened. You know, when you walk outside and you see the setting sun, and just for a moment, ah, the heart opens. Maybe there's a moment of joy when somebody who you've been sitting with for weeks, you look over at them and you can just see a smile on their face. Simple little moments. A moment of joy when you've been entangled in a negative mind state and it suddenly releases. A moment of joy in just being present for one moment, not mattering what the experience is. That's such a, I don't know, There's something about that joy. Because it's nothing you can hang on to. It's nothing that was created. Just the joy of presence. There's a sutta that I'd like to just share a story from. It was about uh, a monk living in the time of the Buddha. His name is Samiddhi. I didn't get the correct translation from my husband, so apologies if that's not right. (laughs) And he was said to be one day very diligently practicing. And then a celestial being came by and asked him why he was giving up happiness of sense pleasure for a vague promise of happiness in the future. Does practice sometimes feel like that? (laughs) I I think I've seen it that way before. (laughs) But Samiti gave a very wise response, and he said he was giving up the promise of happiness in the future so that he could dwell fully in the moment. Do we know this from our experience? The happiness from dwelling fully in the moment? It's amazing. All those moments aren't always there. We have habits that keep us distracted. But when we just drop in, just present, there's joy there. 
Just noticing. It's so easy to overlook. It's those moments where what we have is enough. There comes a great joy in just being on the path. And yes, we get lost, we get confused, we forget. But the joy of being on the path in the moment we remember, in the moment when mindfulness comes back, right there, the joy of remembering. That is, if we're not caught in self-judgment of, oh, I've been lost so long. But just using that as a moment of rejoicing. Mahagosananda, I spoke of him last week. He was the monk that passed away. He said, if we cannot be happy in spite of our difficulties, what good is our spiritual practice? This is the joy that we learn through practice. In spite of the difficulties, in spite of the whatever we may face, challenges in our lives, Joy is accessible. As we sit, in spite of our knee pain, in spite of the thoughts, in spite of difficult emotions, joy in being on the path, What helps to support joy? One is really honoring our desire to be happy. Honoring our desire to be happy and supporting that with wisdom. Not reaching out, not moving into becoming. but looking to what lights you up, what brings vitality, what nourishes you. Letting go of that which no longer nourishes you. The habits we have that keep us separate, alienated. really recognizing that this urge to be happy is a wholesome urge. It's our homing instinct. We can 
at times consciously gladden the mind. One way is to reflect on wholesome actions at the end of a day, to reflect back to things that we may have done that were rooted in wisdom. It's not the sense of creating an I who was good, I who was kind, but just helping to recognize that there is moments in our life where wisdom shines forth. Giving permission to allow ourselves to experience joy when we touch it, in these moments when it's present. Allowing it to be a part of our experience. Not needing to indulge, not needing to cling, but to have just for a moment to open to it. From William Blake, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Kiss the joy as it flies. I like that. (laughs) Opening to the blessings of life. Appreciation. What we can appreciate in our lives. This is such a powerful practice. In fact, it's a practice that I think if I hadn't practiced in my own life, I may not be sitting here today. It was a practice that I did when I was very, very sick, when the world was very, very dark. And it would just be looking to see, letting in what I could appreciate. And, you know, even sometimes in those dark spaces, I couldn't even think. You know, it wasn't, wasn't so much an intellectual process, but just letting my eyes rest on a flower and appreciating, letting my eyes rest on the, on the sunset and appreciating, or hearing the laughter of my partner and appreciating. And, you know, all the time, there are so many blessings in life, and we tend to not see them. And when we do see them, there comes again this lightness, this gladdening. The blessing of being alive, having clothing, food, shelter. Blessings of having beautiful meals, of having, living in a time when the teachings are prevalent. Having the opportunity to practice the blessings of life. They help to gladden the mind. I heard a line once that I thought you can always pull out when you're really grim. It says, you can always be grateful for what you don't have that you don't want. There's always something to be grateful for. Generosity. It's a practice of lightening the heart, 
of letting go of desire, abandoning aversion and ill will. It's a conscious choice in life that again is a reflection of wisdom. You know, and to me, just that reflection of wisdom, that line, that's where joy is. It just gets reflected in wisdom. Wisdom, great joy, seeing clearly. Rejoicing in moments of insight where we've moved out of a personal identification of the way things are and seen something of the way things actually are. Paying attention where the obstructions come into play. When jealousy is present, we tend to get irrational, a little bit crazy, a wanting what somebody else has. What's at the center of it? Self. Comparing mind, another obstruction. You know, sitting here and you see somebody whom you know, all appearances are that their practice is very light, very joyous. And we think, hmm, they're faking it. <laughs> we th- or we you know, get hard on ourselves. I'll never feel like that. Or, well, they're lost in bliss. They've become sidetracked. (laughs) Comparing mind. Deadly, brutal, painful. When we're caught in it, there's no capacity for the heart to be touched, the mind to be uplifted or gladdened to bring about a competitiveness. Have you ever sat in the hall and had a competition with another yogi? I have to confess I have. You know, sitting where someone can sit for a long time, but you're going to sit just a little bit longer. Someone's walking slow and you think that's good, so you walk just a little bit slower. Whatever values we might have, we think the way things should be, we start competing. But that's always a place of pain. It's always a place of separation. And and seeing that, you know, the Buddha talked about how if we are better than, worse than, equal to, that's all a form of conceit. It's all a comparison. It's all looking at life through that veil of separation. It's not mudita. Mudita really helps to take us out of that self-referential framework 
back into that interconnectedness. And that's where there's joy. That's where there's connection. It's not that it's a raucous or exuberant energy. In fact, exuberance is the near enemy of mudita. It's where there comes a sense of joy, but it moves into excitement and it uh, becomes disconnected. Mudita is connected. It's sustainable, where exuberance isn't. I learned this when I practiced uh, mudita intensively. And, you know, after, I don't know, I think I did a week or so where I was doing compassion, and then I moved on to mudita. And it was just like such a delight. And the immediate thing was, oh, it's so easy to be happy for other people, you know, just walking around all day, delighting in everyone's happiness. Oh, my God, I was exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> but that's exuberance. You know, it's not, it's not that, just that lightness, appreciation. Appreciation. I, I like the, the, the description of appreciative joy. Because their appreciation kind of teases out more of that cooler quality of joy. <clears throat> this is a description of Mudita from a woman named Eileen Sirawadana. Uh, she's a professor in Buddhist studies in Sri Lanka. She says, Mudita is a joy and a, an appreciation flowing quietly out of the core of one's heart towards others like water, from a, like from a spring flowing outwards from the bowels of the earth. That spring just flowing outwards. And mudita is a, really a way that goodness multiplies. That in a moment of mudita, someone else's well-being there is our own sense of well-being is present. And it also can happen that when someone else feels that appreciation that we may have, that their sense of well-being is strengthened, that they feel acknowledged and supported in that moment. we can find that it's really contagious. I don't know, maybe you've met people who uh, really radiate metta, compassion, mudita, and you just can't help but feel good in their presence, in spite of yourself. It's something very contagious. Children are really great teachers around mudita. That, I don't know if you've had the experience where a small child's given you a gift and, you know, you light up and then they see you lighting up and they just beam. You know, they're happy for you. you, you and the happiness is just multiplied. This one yogi told me a story once about how she liked to do metta with her granddaughter. And, you know, they would go through different people. And the little girl said to her, Grandma, I'm happiest when I'm happy for you.
my teacher, Hogan Daido Yamahata, he's the teacher who gave me my name. He's somebody who really, to me, Mudita is just a piece of him. He has such a capacity to be happy for others in their good fortune. And um, at one point I organized a retreat for him. And he's, he's this great little, tiny little man, a very impish man. Uh, I went to the airport to meet him, and he arrived, and he had these two humongous suitcases. And I looked at them, and I thought, why does a monk need two big suitcases? <laughs> what I discovered was they were full of gifts. And so when he'd go somewhere, he'd distribute all these gifts. And then um, when he was there, he'd also go shopping and replenish his bag to move on to the next place so he could offer gifts. He just, you know, he had this sense of just sharing, flowing, that moving stream. And I really noticed in my time with him how he, he really was sharing in people's well-being, their happiness, their good fortune. And then one day I had the experience where something had happened in my own life that I was sharing with him of something I was happy about. And he grabbed my hands and started jumping up and down. And we were standing in the middle of this room just jumping up and down like four-year-old kids. But what I really recognized about him, too, was in one moment he'd be doing that, but he doesn't fall into collusion with it. He doesn't fall into sentimentality. In the next moment, he'd come in with the Zen stick. You know, that it was, it was not deluded. It was just that fleeting moment of joy, being able to celebrate and move on. There's no grasping. I'd like to share a teaching from the 17th Karmapa, and it's about appreciative joy. And he said this or wrote this when he was not very old. And I don't know how, exactly how old he would have been at the time, but it, 17, 18, somewhere in there. And to me, it just had so much wisdom and was another way of seeing how one can rejoice. He said, there, there are two ways of looking at rejoicing. Rejoicing in the virtue functioning as a cause and rejoicing in virtue as a result. We can delight in the virtuous actions that someone does, knowing that at some point in the future they will benefit from these actions. I don't think I'd ever thought of that before. Rejoicing when somebody does something virtuous. Or we can rejoice when these actions come to fruition when we bear the fruits of. He also goes on to say, what are the benefits of expressing the sympathetic joy? In terms of others' virtuous actions and their results, which could even be liberation. I mean, that is something worthy of remembering. If we sincerely rejoice in their achievement, we will receive a result that is even greater than what is attained by the person who actually performed the activity. That's pretty awesome. That there can be a real benefit in our own minds 
from rejoicing in the virtue of others. If we rejoice in the fruition of our own activity, the result will become immeasurable. So something that happens here that we see on a daily basis almost is people offering meal dana. Really rejoicing in just the wholesome activity that this person has engaged in. And that the fruits of that will come back to them. Rejoicing as we eat a meal that this is a result of our own wholesome actions in that we have food now to sustain our practice. A moment to rejoice. Mudita is not about rejoicing when people do things that are harmful, hurtful. It really is when their joy comes from wholesome actions. A benefit of mudita is it helps to eliminate boredom. And that's because we start noticing the little things. That there's that quality of interest, care. There's an attentiveness that is present. It helps us to bring value in our lives. It helps us to reconnect with all life. This is another teaching from Nyanaponakatera. Let us teach real joy to others. Many have unlearned it. Life, though full of woe, holds also sources of happiness and joy unknown to most. Let us teach people to seek and to find real joy within themselves and to rejoice with the joy of others. Let us teach them to unfold their joy to ever sublimer heights. Finding real joy in life. The joy that comes from wisdom, presence, seeing things as they are, This is what we can bring into the world. So this is an invitation to feel joy, to feel the little joys in life, the joy of paying attention, the joy of reflecting on wholesome actions, the joy in rejoicing in others' wholesome actions the joy of sharing the wealth that we have in life, the riches of life, the joy that comes from gratitude, from the blessings of life, 
And we see that if we start to find joy in life, that the opportunity for joy multiplies when we start rejoicing in others' joy. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings be never separate from the highest bliss, which is without suffering. 